0: Hey, everyone, some very exciting news to share. Recode Decode has been named the Podcast of the Year by Adweek. Take that, Michael Barbaro. No, he's a friend of mine. Too bad, Michael. I still won this one. Thank you so much to all of you for an incredible 2019. We're so delighted and proud to bring you this podcast every week. And we are looking forward to a bigger and better 2020. Now on with the show.
2: Grow your business in Slack. Visit
0: slack.com to get started. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor at large of Recode. You may know me as Ruth Bader Ginsburg's stunt double, but in my spare time, I'm just a reporter, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power, change, and the people you need to know around tech and beyond. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair, I'm thrilled to have Neil Katyal, a partner at the law firm Hogan Lovells, and the author of a very timely new book called Impeach the Case Against Donald Trump. We're recording this on Friday, December 6th, and we will be talking about everything that's been happening in the past couple of months and what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Neil, welcome to Recode Decode.
3: Thank you, Kara. It's so great to be here with you.
0: Thank you. I forced you to come here. I like attacked you no, on Twitter. I DM'd no. the hell
3: out of <laughs> you. No, the truth is, you know, I have uh, I've been dying to do this podcast. I have one foot in uh, Silicon Valley at all times, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I've just seen your influence there, and the podcast is amazing. This Thank you. episode Thank accepted, you. Um, and uh, it's just. A Real honor and privilege. Thank
0: you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for kissing up to me. I appreciate it. Um, so let's talk about you, though. This book uh, is perfectly timed. This is a crazy perfect time to release this book. But let's give people a little sense of where you come from. Like, one of the reasons we did it today versus next week was he's like, in the, in the DM, he's like, you know, I have a case to argue for the Supreme Court on Tuesday. And then I felt bad. Usually people give me, like, the worst reasons, like <laughs> my cat ate my homework or something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's something you should probably prepare for or something as a lawyer. But talk about your background of how you got where you are and what you specialize in, and then we'll get
3: to the book. Yeah. So I'm a Supreme Court lawyer, and I'm a law professor at Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to law school, pretty sure I wanted to teach law, and— um, Uh, got detoured a little bit with a national security job at the Justice Department, but I was really just a law teacher. And then I was outraged but what I saw happening at Guantanamo mm-hmm. in the Bush administration and, you know. Explain that
0: for people so, who probably you know,
3: don't know. So, you know, back in 2001 in November, the president issued a military order that said that he could set up a whole trial system at Guantanamo from scratch in which he could handpick the prosecutors and the defense attorneys and the judges and the appeals judges and handpick the defendants and uh, write all of the rules for the trial, including the punishments, which he he said, include the death penalty. He said they had zero constitutional rights. Mm-hmm. And the last lines of the president's order said, the federal courts have no business reviewing what I'm doing at Guantanamo Bay. No right. writ of habeas corpus. So, like, I'm a big believer in presidential power and in national security, but I thought that went way, way too yeah, far. This
0: was in the wake of 9-11. A lot of really stringent laws were passed, many of which were probably problematic on every level. Uh, but this was one of them. And here's a, it, it, this, is, this is out of safety concerns about the United States and protecting the United States, and it's often that balance. But what happened is they created this-
3: Legal black hole. Legal
0: black hole, exactly.
3: and so I first testified, and I wrote law review articles, and nothing changed. Mm -hmm. And then I said to myself, look, I got to file a lawsuit. So Mm -hmm. I filed the lawsuit. I brought it all the way up to the Supreme Court. It was my first case, and I won. And once we won that, um, and- then a lot of different individuals wanted to hire me to do their Supreme Court cases, including then-Senator, ultimately President Barack Obama. And so I went in as his number two courtroom lawyer, and then I became his number one courtroom lawyer for a time when Elena Kagan went up to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And Solicitor. Solicitor and general. general. Right. Yeah. And then ever since then, I've been arguing Supreme Court cases uh, for half the week, basically, and the other half of the week advising technology companies on really hard legal problems. All
0: right. Uh, so we're going to talk about both those things but what made you want to do that uh, with Guantanamo? Why did that strike uh, you to push on that one? There's so many interesting legal challenges going on all over the
3: place. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. When I first went down, I wound up representing Bin Laden's driver, some Bin Laden's driver mm-hmm. at Gitmo. And he asked me exactly that. He's like, why are you here? Why are you representing me? Mm-hmm. And I remember I like paused for a while I was like, you know, I don't have a straight answer to this. And then I thought to myself, I should say a law professor because, you know, <laughs> if I'm not a very good lawyer if I can't answer a question. Yeah. But I said to him this, I said, look, my parents came to this country from another and they came Not because of the quality of its soil or its sports teams or things like that. They came for one simple reason. They thought that they could land on its shores from their country, India, and be treated fairly, not mm-hmm. perfectly, but fairly, and better than any other country on Earth. And I said to this guy, Bin Laden's driver, I said, you know, that's always been my experience, from schools to the jobs I had in the government. I mean, National Security Advisor at the Justice Department with no U.S.-born parents, no U.S.-born family, mm-hmm. that's a pretty remarkable thing. But It is. Um, but it's, um it's what this country is built on. And so that's what offended me so much about Guantanamo, this mm-hmm. idea that only foreigners would get to go at Guantanamo. If you were one of the twelve million green card holders like my parents or the seven billion foreigners, you could be accused of a crime and get sent to Gitmo. But if you were a US citizen and accused of the worst crime imaginable, say detonating a weapon of mass destruction, you got the Cadillac version of justice, the mm-hmm. American civil trial, no gitmo. Right. And that just you know, we've never done that in our history before. President right. Bush was the first time.
0: These extrajudicial hearings and, and different things that they were doing. Exactly. Um, so you did this, and then you started arguing different cases for it, not just this in this area.
3: Yeah. So once, uh, once I won that, then uh, other folks started to hire me. And in the government, you represent all sorts of things before the Supreme Court. Right. And so I had any number of cases. I mean, you know, I had the patentability of the human genome, in particular BRCA genes one and two, which, mm-hmm. I, spent, cancer uh, genes. Cancer genes, which I spent a lot of time on seeking the invalid validation of 20,000 patents that had been issued since the Reagan administration, which the biotech industry was not happy with me for mm-hmm. doing, but and they said we'd lose that case and we wound up wanting it mm-hmm. 9, nine zero in the Supreme Court when they invalidated all those patents on the human genome. So I did that, the Constitutional of the Voting Rights Act, and a number of different things. Mm-hmm. And then I left the government and came back to teach at Georgetown and then also now run one of the largest Supreme Court practices in the country.
0: So talk a little bit about your work with Tech companies. What got you interested in that?
3: So uh, you know, I've always been a kind of tech guy, and mm-hmm. uh, and so always interested in it. And um, when I came out of the government, I realized that technology was a the sector of the economy that was expanding the fastest, and b the ones in which the lawyering, compared to other places, wasn't quite as good. That well, so is the, <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> the law. Exactly. Is not- Ex- in fact, exactly. There is no laws. Exactly. And I had the benefit of arguing five big tech cases at the at the Supreme Court when I was in the government government. So, as a result, I said to myself hey, this is just strategically a really interesting area. It's also an area yeah. where I happen to know a lot of have a lot of friends. And so, I started really actually in an advisor, not as a like litigator. I was mm-hmm. actually just helping them think through really hard problems if you're designing a in artificial intelligence product in the health space, is that a Device that has to be regulated, or right? Or the FDA, how, or, right? Or how do we think about driverless cars and insurance mm-hmm. markets and things so like that?
0: Before we get there, what are the ones you uh, argue before the Supreme Court? So you were on the other side of tech, presumably, or maybe not.
3: No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I guess, you know, I did run the Google Books case for the government Mm -hmm. and where the federal government was opposed to the Google Books uh, settlement, um, you know. But for the most part, um, I I think that the Obama administration took a pretty friendly line toward technology. And Mm -hmm. so um, and, and I think at that point for good reason.
0: Explain it to me. Tell me your good reason.
3: Well, at that point, I think that um, we were seeing a sector of the economy that was expanding um, in a way that was really creating a lot of opportunities for people. Um, And, you know, I just think uh, there's so many things that are done now, like my mom, who's 85, can do a whole bunch of things she couldn't do before because of technology. So, um, you know, at least some of the problems that now are apparent that we've seen and that you've done more than anyone to draw attention to, um, you know, I don't think that they just weren't on our radar, at least as a, you know, at right. that point... no, they weren't the, there, they right. weren't there. At that they point were. in the time, I was a litigator, so I, you know, maybe there were people in the government thinking about it, but it hadn't bubbled up to no, the court case. No, actually. Yeah. Nobody
0: had painted And in fact, the, the the overriding law was just Section 230, which was a protective. I wrote about that at the Washington Post when I worked here a, okay. a long time ago because I wrote about the Communications Decency Act, most of which was invalidated, except for that part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, talk about sort of the changing ideas. So, you're These firms, various firms, you don't have to tell me which ones unless you want to, um, because I know lawyers are that way.
3: It's not like we just want to be that way. That's (laughs) what I call ethics.
0: (laughs) Ethics, crazy. Um, Shockingly, there are some bobby lawyers. But talk about sort of what uh, Rudy has Giuliani. shifted. I don't know How rude is Julian? did he confess today? He confessed today, didn't he? Man, speaking of Twitter and Lee law, we'll get into that in a second. So, talk about where where that's changed. The idea of tech and law right now. I mean, before and now, because that was the law. That there aren't any laws really. I mean, they, certain laws apply to them that every, apply to everyone else, but there are very specific laws to specific industries yeah. everywhere you go. Chemical industry, Wall Street, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Yeah, I think well, one thing that's happened, and and this is, goes back well before the. The internet age is just the reluctance of Congress to Legislate in this area, they're scared. They just don't understand it, and you know. So, like, we're literally governed by a law called ECPA, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, from 1986, before email was even invented, or effectively invented. And so, you know, you've got the reluctance of Congress to do very much, and then you've got, you know, sometimes uh, judges who, particularly at the state level, will jump in and do a lot because they feel like, well, nobody else is. Mm -hmm. So they'll use their common law powers to do things. And then you have a federal judiciary that, by and large, has been so scared of technology they don't know what to do with. It. I actually clerked to, for Justice Breyer during the Communications Decency Act case when it was at mm-hmm. the court, and I was the only person who had a laptop uh, that connected to the internet in mm-hmm. the entire building. Right. And so uh, there was one in the library, and then one at the one at the desk. And so we literally went up with the justices to the library and showed them the internet. Um, <laughs> and, oh my god! Uh, I wish I was there. <laughs> it was. It was Sure was something. Who, who
0: liked it the most? Come on. <laughs> I'm not. I can't say. I can
3: get into that. But um, oh, but, man. but um, you know they were and they were and they, they just traditionally have been reluctant to do very much in the realm of technology. Is it
0: because the lack of knowledge or we don't want to, you know, this is a great innovation thing, why should we get in the way? Because every other, you know, I'm sure that's how people felt about cars and trains and these are all technologies that eventually got regulated.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I think, but they all took time to get regulated to yeah. railroads. I think is another example of that, mm-hmm. um, it took time. And so I think we're now starting to see that time start to develop in, mm-hmm. you know, different modes of regulation. So it doesn't always have to be a heavy hand that you, you know, a Standard. It could be some sort of goal that is uh, that is try to be met, incentives, other things like that, and sunlight. You know, so you know, hopefully, you know, Congress will be willing to shed more sunlight on what's actually happening, and hope that that will actually.
0: What- what do you imagine should happen? And I do, I'm do. i going to get your book in the next section, but I, what do you imagine is going to happen? There's lots of ways. There's just state regulation, which happened in California, say the privacy legislation. Um, there's international legislation that happens in Europe, uh, GDPR, and, and there's stuff going on in New Zealand and Australia is quite aggressive. And then there's uh, regulatory, like FTC, imposing fines or trying to—or investigating. There's the Justice Department investigations on antitrust and other issues. And where do you think it's going to zero out, I guess— yeah, so
3: just speaking descriptively right. and not normatively, I am worried about the way in which there's a race to um, among some to regulate really hard and just get, you know, attention in the media and whatever and get a brand as a certain type of politician. You're speaking um, of
0: Josh Hawley, but move along. <laughs>
3: <There's a lot. laughs> you know, I had so much so many hopes for him. And um, you know, he's not stupid. No, I, I, always I know. Say that, he's yeah. very very Until bright. He goes on exactly. To his, he's yeah. a bright individual, and mm-hmm. and yet what's coming out of his mouth mouth on this issue is, you know, leave something to be desired. And so um, I am really worried about the way in which there's almost effectively a race to, not necessarily the bottom, but a race to regulate. Um, and one of the things I think industry has not done a good job of, but really needs to, is explore models for self-regulation mm-hmm. and be serious about it. Because if they're not, then we are going to get into this race um, in the uh, race among the other le- regulators.
0: Can you stack rank them from where you think they're the ones? that are most—that's an in-tech term, by the way, stack ranking. Um, they love to use that with employees in tech. Um, but can you give an idea of what you think is will come before the other? I mean, I've talked to a lot of people. The Justice Department, they're worried that they're going to start doing investigations and then what they're investigating will have passed them by, like that that's their worry is that the stuff they're going to— try to deal with will be over by the time they get to it, seven years or whatever it takes to do that. Some of the regulators feel the same way. And a lot of the legislators feel like that, that they can't. And then, of course, there's the reality of politics where nothing gets passed anywhere.
3: Yeah, I don't think I have anything particularly insightful to say there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that you know that, that's a standard problem with investigations. Um, but I do think that just you know the very fact that investigations don't work so well is just one more reason why I think industry needs to think much more about self-regulation. It's the right thing to do. What would that and, look like? What would
0: that look like? Well, I mean,
3: we have different models, for example, like, you know, for movies, for example, right? There's, uh, there's rating systems and things like right. that, which they developed on their own. I'd like to see some attention toward that kind of, you know, behavior. You know, we're already starting to see a debate, which you've been part of about, you know, the use of political ads on on social media and the mm-hmm. like. I'd like to see more of that discussion.
0: Yeah, they don't seem to want to discuss. They seem to sort of stake out a case. And and why is that, having worked with them? Again, you don't say who you – but what is the mentality that you get from the tech industry? I know what I get, but I have a different relationship with them than you do.
3: Yeah, again, I'm not uh, – you know, I certainly can't speak for all of them. And, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just a little bit surprised by the hubris around this issue in mm-hmm. the Valley. Um, it feels a little bit Trumpy, like, uh, mm-hmm. like, oh, we're the underdog. We're the one who are always getting picked on. You're not mm-hmm. the under – You know, in general, you're not the underdog. Never. Yeah, so... (laughs) Not in general. Never.
0: (laughs) Not anymore. Maybe once. (laughs) Like for a week, essentially. I mean, it's a really interesting mentality because one of the things that I always try to say to them is that you aren't victims. You are not. You are the richest people in the world. And you have the most money. You have the most lobbying money. You have the most power. You're unusually in charge of things. And then you act as if we're trying to, asking for transparency or privacy or any of the things that... I think a reasonable asks for these companies seems to be feel like a full frontal attack on them. Mm-hmm. Like you get the why do you sort of like the Nancy Pelosi question, why do you hate so and so? It's like I don't hate you. <laughs> I just I just don't want you down my throat with your data requests kind of thing. And so it's a really interesting thing. Where do you where do you imagine the first do you have any thought of where the first important stuff is gonna happen?
3: Uh, no, I don't. No. I, I don't. I think this is unpredictable right now.
0: Right, right now. And and in terms of any of the ways to regulate these, is there a preference that you have of any of them, or just a mix of different things?
3: Um, yeah. No. I think it's a mix. I don't. I don't have a particular. Yeah. You know,
0: no. All right. Last question on this is: Is do you think of the many issues, privacy, disinformation? Is there any area you think needs? Attention right now. I think privacy.
3: Does. Exactly. I was going to say privacy. I think yeah. it's so central, and mm-hmm. there's so many different ways in which we don't actually know what's happening with our data and information. And um, uh, and yeah. So I think I suspect that there will be a lot of attention on that. Certainly, there's more in Europe right now, but I think that will come back into America. The California law is a mm-hmm. good example of a start.
0: Right. And then lastly, free speech. This whole. Do you have any thoughts on Mark's speech or the the kind of areas they're staking out around. it. I think they don't know what they're talking about. So that's my takeaway is that they're sort of conflating free speech and paid speech, you know, even what Sasha Baron Cohen managed to understand, which is free reach and free speech and different things like that.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, first of all, I don't understand why there shouldn't be more disclosure around this. I mean, I felt like that on the federal, on the campaign finance, you know, I was part of the Citizens United team and Mm -hmm. so on. And I've always felt like, you know, even if you believe money is speech and blah, 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 at least you should be forcing disclosure of where all of the information, He's all of money is coming from and, and the like. So I think that's an early place to start. The other thing I'm really intrigued by, you know, and the internet really rises, it raises is Tim Wu's point about how- This is action, a professor
0: at Columbia. Exactly.
3: <laughs> and who has argued that actually flooding the market with speech in a way is a way of censoring speech. It's mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. so a particularly yes, brilliant way of thinking about it. It is, um, indeed. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to see some of those problems. We're seeing those problems right now.
0: Right. Well, that's exactly which will get us into Trump. That's what a lot of this stuff has. And one of, what's interesting about it is how quickly it's gone into politics because of, of disinformation and, and things like that and how quickly it's moved into law. It's moved into all kinds of things that I don't think people thought about. There's more tech in the most recent impeachment crisis than I've ever seen. Like, interesting. It, you know, just yeah. yesterday, the phone calls, that he's on phone calls, that the Russians are taping, and so the Russians probably have... Evidence probably not exculpatory, is my guess, um, of his phone discussions Yeah, you and call it
3: evidence, I call it blackmail. Yeah, because exactly. Because really, I yeah. mean, you know, it, it, this i I'm guessing is... it's
0: not exculpatory. <laughs> exactly. Mr. President, that means— <laughs>
3: And it, and it gives the Russian government power over him. Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: Yeah. All right, let's cook it, get into your book in the next section. We're going to talk more about it. We have just a few minutes. How did you decide to write this? I mean, so,
3: such good timing. So it actually flows exactly from what we were just mm-hmm. talking about. I wrote it for one simple reason, which is I knew Trump was going to flood us with disinformation and throw up chaff every day of the week. Mm-hmm. and the reason to write a book like this is to say, hey, there's a central narrative around impeachment. It's really simple. It doesn't change from day to day with what phone call and what witness comes before Congress. It's simply this. The president tried to cheat in the 2020 election with the help of a foreign government. He got caught, but he tried. And that is a core impeachable offense. And everything about that is revealed in the July 25th memorandum of the phone call he had with the Ukrainian president. We don't have a full transcript. We have so he's trying to cheat again. Exactly. Right. So so because of that, you know, and the book basically starts by saying, well, why do we have impeachment in the document? What's it about? Uh, you know, many of our founders, like Elbridge Gary, didn't want to put it in at all. Mm-hmm. They said, uh, you know, there's reelections. The president will be subject to reelection. And back then there weren't two terms, so it could be many reelections. And so that will police uh, an executive who's going to... Take care,
0: the voters will take care of it, which yeah, will, this is, this is one of the Trump
3: arguments. Exactly. So this is true of the founding. Mm-hmm. And what happens in, when Gary says this is Madison and Hamilton say, oh, no, what about if you have a president who's beholden to a foreign power or seeks foreign influence? Or what if you have a president who cheats on the reelection campaign? I mean, literally, you know, this is the paradigmatic case of why impeachment is in the Constitution. Even Elbridge Gary. changed changes his mind in the Philadelphia Convention in 1787 and says, yeah, we do need to put impeachment in there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's remarkable that now, two centuries later, the Trump argument is, oh, we're so close to an election, let's just solve it there. And that's always, I think, a a bad argument, but it's a particularly bad argument here, because that's the very election he's trying to cheat in. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, and so it's kind of like if you and I are playing a game of Monopoly, and you accuse me of cheating, and I say, well, let's resolve this by playing another game of Monopoly. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the whole problem.
0: Well, it's all out in the front of there. All right, we're talking with Neil Katyal. He is the author of Impeach, the case against Donald Trump. We are just talking about his involvement with technology and how he got into the law. When we get back, we're gonna talk more about this book and what's going on
1: now.
0: We're here with Neil Katyal. He's a partner at the law firm Hogan Lovells and the author of a very timely new book called Impeach the Case Against Donald Trump. He's also been very involved in tech uh, law, legal legal issues around tech, and we talked a little bit about that. Let's talk about this case. Where are we right now? We'll talk about the the historical ideas that this is the right thing to do right now.
3: Yeah. So where we are right now is that we first had a whistleblower complaint mm-hmm. in August uh, that got to Congress on September 9th, and miraculously on September eleventh, the aid that the Ukrainians were promised and was being held up all of a sudden flowed to them yes, again. Coincidence? Exactly. What's the
0: difference? They got the money.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's it's like,
0: my favorite one. Yeah, like, Are it's you like,
3: kidding me? I tried. You know. What, I, tried you know, to know I didn't shoot. rob. Right. I didn't rob the bank. I got caught, so no right. problem. No right. harm, no foul. I gave the money back. Exactly. So. Uh, So that launched a congressional investigation, um, and we're seeing that now. It's split out among six different committees in the Congress, but we had these House Intelligence Committee for a couple of weeks call witnesses. And by the way— To lay out the case. uh, uh, Yeah, the uh, witness—by the way, the president ordered all executive branch employees not to testify uh, and said not a document, not a phone call record, nothing could be turned over to Congress because he deemed this, in his judgment, illegitimate. Mm So you have that committee, and now this week we have— Which, and
0: then they did anyway. These exactly. Few these,
3: a few people defied the president, including mm-hmm. Trump administration appointees. So that's a you know, pretty remarkable development, but many have not. So we mm-hmm. still haven't heard from a lot of key players like uh, the chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, John Bolton, the national security advisor, and the like. We're so, going to get to
0: him in a minute. Okay, I don't understand great. why he has not—
3: Yeah, it's an interesting question. So those folks are all hanging out right now. We don't know where they— where. where well, he's they, playing.
0: Twitter games every day. I'm it's, like, stop it! Like you don't get to be cute on Twitter if you don't. He ain't speak. that cute. <laughs> I know. So. And I'm like, no, you don't get to like pretend you're telling us things without telling us things. It's not. It's not flirty in any way. It's attractive <laughs> to anyone in the United States. Um, so so, they, and the excuse they're using is, from what I can tell. We can't do this trial because not everyone has spoken, but we're not letting anybody
3: speak. Exactly. Right. That's okay. a beautiful summary of right. it. All right. yeah. that's,
0: I'm pretty sure. I'm not a lawyer, but I believe that's what they're doing. So they, there's no, they can call it a, 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 the not everyone gets to speak thing, and therefore it's not legitimate. Correct. That's what they're saying. Yeah. All right. So it went through the, the Intelligence Committee, which lots of people watched, lots of people didn't, but many people in Washington certainly did.
3: Yeah, and then it went to the House Judiciary Committee for one day of hearings on what is an impeachable offense. We Mm -hmm. had four constitutional law scholars debate that question. Then the next day, uh, Speaker of the House Pelosi said that she was going to order the drafting of impeachment articles, and that's where we are now is the drafting of those articles. And the central question I think they are wrestling with is how broadly or narrowly do they define them? Do they want them tightly focused on Ukraine, or do they want them broader to encompass Mueller's uh, Allegations, Russia possibly the, the, emollients, obstruction. the, yeah, possibly the emollients, yeah, possibly even emollients, yeah, exactly. Let him off on the hotel. Yes. That's My feeling, I'm like, let him off on. The... That's
0: just low-level grifting.
3: It's just a constitutional uh, violation. I understand, you know, it's but like, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it's low-level. Right. No. So look, I mean, I think that one of the it's reasons— it's like he littered
0: I, on the way in to rob the bank. Let's yeah, let him it's off more on... than littering. I know, but, I, know <laughs> I know, I know, I know. you know what I mean? I think it'll get out of the. It'll it'll mess
3: up the point. Well, well that's the th- I think yeah. the point, and that's what I argue in the book is. Right. We should focus on Ukraine because it's a tight, simple story—the one I just shared, shared mm-hmm. with you a moment ago. And you know, the other piece of this, though, that the president has done is because he has so gagged every employee and every document and the like, obstruction of justice. I think has yes. to be a count in the articles of impeachment. Literally, no president has done this in our lifetime. I mean, Nixon Why he wakes up and obstructs justice. <laughs> I think that's what he has for breakfast. I mean, it's like, Ni- what can I do to obstruct justice today? Nixon, you know, thought about it. And and, and said, yeah, I'm going to try and gag some employees from testifying during mm-hmm. impeachment. But even he backed down. So this mm-hmm. is the first time in our history we've had a president oh, do this. Was the
2: tapes obstructing justice? Was it, that?
3: Well, he had a couple of witnesses that he wanted to. And then right. it, he ultimately tried to block those tapes. Right. But he didn't try right. and block every document the no, way Trump is. No, you're right. You're right the tapes. And, and, of course, when he tried to block the tapes, that went to the Supreme Court. And yeah. the Supreme Court unanimously, even though there were three yes, appointees, turn three appointees by, that Nixon had put on the Supreme Court, they all voted against Nixon. Right, right, yeah.
0: right. Do you remember that Rosemary Woods when she was showing how she erased them, that 17-minute gap? No. Oh, you got to look at that picture. It's fantastic. Anyway, um, she was saying how she did it on purpose, like by accident, and it was a crazy like gymnastic exercise. There's no way it was on not on purpose. Anyway. So, 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 I was
3: just going to say now the modern-day equivalent is, you know, when the transcript of that phone call was generated, mm-hmm. that July 25th phone call, it was put on a very highly classified air-gapped server right. uh, to basically keep it away from other people. Because so they couldn't like. see it. Exactly. So people
0: couldn't see it, which was fascinating use of technology. And then they said it was by accident, right? Or they didn't mean to put it there? Or right.
3: Yeah. It just happened to show up on a highly classified <laughs> a server that only the president and his close political aides can see. Yeah. Right.
0: Exactly. So, as we're proceeding, what happens next?
3: Okay, so uh, the House is going to draft those articles, and then they're going to vote. And And what do
0: you think they're going to draft them as, very narrowly, or are they going to add on lard on some other things?
3: Also, he's a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) I hope they do what I suggest in the book, which is have these three articles focused on Ukraine, Article one: abuse of power, going and seeking Ukraine's help Mm -hmm. to get dirt from your chief political rival, Article two: bribery, up the quid pro quo, withholding military aid until you get what you want, uh, and withhold the White House meeting and Article 3, Obstruction of Justice. But within those articles, I think that they can bring in additional information about the president's pattern of conduct, both with respect to obstruction and his penchant for going and getting some help from his friends in Mm -hmm. election campaigns. Because the Russians. Because the Russians in 2016, which Mueller was investigating. And so I think that can all come in that way. And actually, we have a precedent for this. That's how the Nixon articles of impeachment were drafted. They focused on Watergate tightly. In the drafting of the of the articles themselves, but then as supporting evidence for each article, they relied on other behavior of Nixon.
0: Uh, trick, tricks and things like that. Exactly. That now, in this case, I wouldn't say the failure of the Mueller investigation, but I think in a lot of ways it was emboldening because this happened right after that, after he felt he got off, which I think he kind of did. Can you talk a little bit about that in the background of this? Because they were thinking about pulling in the Mueller thing.
3: Yeah, now. it's a big deal. So basically, Mueller testifies to Congress on July 24th, and I think it's fair to say—I mean, I was covering the hearing for NBC. Um, it didn't go well for Mueller, um, and uh, frankly, for the American people. And it's—I think no coincidence that the phone call that the president had with the Ukrainian president this transcript or memorandum of the conversation mm-hmm. we're talking about the next day, July 25th. Right. He's feeling I feeling mean, the president did feel, feel emboldened and, and this is another reason that I decided to write the book is with Mueller I thought to myself you know look I'm not a TV person I'm a Supreme Court lawyer but I thought to myself if I could go on TV and explain to the American people what was happening. I'd written the special counsel regulations that Mueller was appointed under when I was a young pup at the Justice Department so I was like if I can explain all this then the people will see it mm-hmm. and, you know, and see how grave this was. And that just right. didn't happen. Right. And so I felt like something needed to be done, like a a, a, a a longer, stronger, but simple explanation of what happened.
0: So explain what happened in that regard and in, in why that was so critical to— bring in here and what went wrong there?
3: Yeah, so I think the Mueller investigation, first of all, it was a serious law enforcement investigation Mm -hmm. involving a lot of stuff that was in Russia with Russian, in the Russian language, Mm -hmm. and lots of complicated, uh, you know, facts that had to be developed. And, you know, ultimately they indicted... They indicted a lot of people. A lot of people, including the president's national security advisor and people Mm -hmm. like that. So that's going to take a certain amount of time. So that's I think one problem was just the land of time, uh, done for all sorts of good reasons, but nonetheless it allowed Trump a very good talking point, which is, hey, this is going on too long. Yeah, running out the to, clocks is it's, one of his is,
0: techniques.
3: Is, is best, yeah, his best technique. Number two is the allegations were about the president not as president, but as a candidate. Mm-hmm. And that's really different. Um, I mean, when you think about Ukraine, the thing that's to me... That's an
0: excellent point. I think people don't understand yeah. that. Enough.
3: So the thing about Ukraine is that the president is using his powers as commander-in-chief mm-hmm. and with the awesome powers given to him by the Constitution to help his private ends. He's not a private citizen like you and me running for an election, which is bad. It's, I'm not right. at all saying it's not. But it is the you know, height of constitutional irresponsibility. Because our founders basically said that they wanted a strong president like in the Constitution and the Federalist Papers mm-hmm. like Madison uh, and Ham- Hamilton talk about secrecy and dispatch because Congress often can't get stuff done. So you want to have a really strong president. But they said – Because that president's so strong, he's liable to possibly do stuff that's against the national interest Mm -hmm. and against the people's interest. That's why impeachment's in there. Mm -hmm. And now you've got exactly that. You've got the president using the suite of powers he has as commander-in-chief, not for the nation's benefit. Foreign aid, whatever. Right. In this case, foreign aid. Yeah, not for the nation's benefit, but for his own personal ends. And that's what— Twelve witnesses have come forth. That's the consistent story they're all saying. Can
0: I ask you a really stupid question? <laughs> like, this is the, why Biden? Why this?
3: Well. It, Because he feels
0: like he he was his biggest challenger. Well, I mean, Of course, they have Bloomberg coming out on the right, which must worry him (laughs) terribly, I would imagine. I mean,
3: look, I think Biden at the time in July was certainly his chief political rival, according to every poll. And, and, you know, look, I don't think the president would—I'm sure he'd do it if he had the opportunity with some other candidate, Elizabeth Warren or whoever. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I think that's another thing that I think makes this different, because— this president, when confronted with all of this, he hasn't said the what I think you and I would do if we got in this situation like, oh, my God, I did something horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's like, oh, there's nothing wrong. It's perfect. It's beautiful. I'll do it again. China, mm-hmm. if you're listening, give me dirt on Biden. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the central- Which he
0: did with Hillary Clinton.
3: The central reason I wrote the book is to say to Americans, Look, what the rules you set here are going to apply not just for President Trump, but for every future president, a President Elizabeth Warren or Pete Buttigieg or whomever you want. And, you know, the best way to think about it is to what I tell my law students, which is just pretend the identity of the parties are reversed. So don't think it's President Trump. Pretend in your mind it's President Obama who Mm -hmm. did all this stuff. Would you say, oh, that's OK. It's perfect. It's okay." It's OK. China, go ahead and give Obama information for his re-election campaign or, or cast doubt on one of Obama's opponents? Of course not. That's not a democracy.
0: Right, right. And so now from here we go—so Mueller wasn't able to land the blow, in other words, or really finishing. Why was that? Because there wasn't—because he was a candidate and that there wasn't enough linkage between intent well, I- and—
3: I think both of those go Intent in. was but, certainly there, but. I th- right. I think both of those go in. But I think it's important to say Mueller did land the blow yes. in the report. I mean, yes. Mueller detailed ten different instances of obstruction of justice, and that was obstruction mm-hmm. of the president as president, doing right. things like firing Comey right. and the like. Right. And the reason that that didn't ultimately culminate in an indictment against the president, I don't think, is Mueller's fault. It was the Attorney General Barr comes in and. Faux summarizes the Mm -hmm, report mm -hmm. with a four page memo that says basically that uh, Trump is cleared. But doesn't ever explain why Trump is cleared. Trump is cleared, according to Barr, because a sitting president right. is constitutionally immune from being indicted. Not that but he's innocent. That's not
0: true, right? Correct? That's well, sort of well, a justice department. It's a
3: justice department opinion. And right. um, but it's not that he's innocent, and indeed he can be tried right afterwards. And by the mm-hmm. way, that very memo says you can't indict the sitting president, but you could do something else to him called Impeach.
0: Right. And, and this is what, what Mueller recommended.
3: Uh, well, it's what the what the Justice Department opinion says, at least. I think Mueller was careful not to ever specifically Well, he th- says they, he, kept, he kept sending
0: oh, it wasn't lines it was like you have something you could do something that I can't do necessarily right. you can impeach Congress yeah. can act.
3: Yes, exactly. Congress can act. I'm not sure he right. ever quite came out and used the I word but, right. um, but 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 pretty close. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know that's I think one of the struggles Congress is dealing with now. Mueller has teed up a certain set of allegations around Russia. Do they include those allegations formally as separate counts in the indictment? They might decide to include it um, and then maybe that doesn't get voted up and sent to the Senate. So mm-hmm. that's that's possible. So I should say, just to fill out the procedural question you asked, once the House of votes, and it's just a simple majority vote, they mm-hmm. vote on each article and they say, is he impeached for obstruction of justice mm-hmm. or for bribery or whatever? And to impeach someone is not to remove them from right. office. It's just the formal accusation against them, kind of like a grand jury indictment. Mm-hmm. It'll then move over to the Senate for a trial. Right. And the Senate rules are pretty detailed on this. They're going to require the senators to be there all day for six days a week, Mm -hmm. um, and will require a trial with witnesses, perhaps, and things like that. Mm
0: -hmm. And how will that go? There's been a lot of back and forth right now between House Republicans and Republicans who are running the Senate, which is run by Mitch McConnell. So this moves to a body that is pro-Trump.
3: Correct. And so I think that's why it led a lot of people in the popular media to say, oh, that's, you know, it's Trump's court, it's it, it's going to be over, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm more of an optimist about our system. And uh, and I certainly think that we are premature in assessing what the Senate will do, because we don't know. We don't necessarily have all of the evidence and information. We don't have all of Trump's reactions. Um, Mm -hmm. This is not exactly the most stable person. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's a dynamic environment and a trial can bring out any number of things right. that can happen. Right. And so I— So what could happen?
0: Like, how would it happen in a normal way? Not that any of this is normal. But I mean, you it's to The next part, so. I want to talk about the social media impact and all this, because everybody's using it. Like, yeah. literally, confessions are happening by the second. You know, anytime Johnny <laughs> tweets, it's like, oh, you did it? Okay. You know, it's really interesting. And I want to understand how that— Plays with this, or it really doesn't matter at all. But so, in a normal way, it would go there'd be a try, and each side would make their case, or who's on which side?
3: Correct. So the House uh, will appoint some people, which they'll call managers, and Mm -hmm. they're effectively the prosecutors. And they're the ones who are going to say, you know, the president did X and Y and should be removed from office. And then the president will have his own defense team that and it could include the actual White House counsel, who's a government employee, but it will also include his private legal team. And they'll explain why it's not a high crime and misdemeanor or whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. the rationales, I mean, they've had like seven different defenses. They They keep Falling apart, so I don't know what their new defense will be, but I suspect it will be something different than anything we've heard. What would you so do far. if you were them?
0: What would be your defense?
3: Order him to resign. No, I mean, no, no, no. If you were him, no, <laughs> exactly. No, if I exactly. was no, a lawyer, I would say, you know, you broke your oath. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't. I think I can defend a lot of stuff. Really, <laughs> but uh, you're supposed I, to do whatever. Yeah, no, Neil. I think, um, I, you know, I think country over everything, and mm-hmm. um, this is this is someone who ha- is a, a, a real. Gravely has um, spit on the American demo- democracy. So.
0: All right, now I'm going to force you to put on your Lindsey Graham. All right, what would you, what would be the defense?
3: Well, I not think, to give them ideas, they're not stupid. So no, what, no, 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 no. I just think that there is there isn't a good defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. So the what defense, will be their defense? The, how about that? Well, so if I, you I,
0: had no morals or ethics, right. what would be your defense? So
3: their defense really is mm-hmm. get over it. This helps us win. So it's just a pure power play. Mm -hmm. They can't say that out loud. I mean, Mick Mulvaney did for a moment, but Mm -hmm. um, he took it back. So I think their defense will instead be, "Oh, there's nothing wrong here. Everything here is up and up." Is typical of the way things
0: are actually done, right?
3: And you know, despite all the testimony that says from all these Trump administration appointees that say, "No, it's never done that way. Never Mm -hmm. in our history, you know, have history or experience. Have we seen anything like this?" But I think you know know, they'll have, you know, their set of alternative facts and they'll use those and we'll hear them over and over again in social media and other things. And there will be a hope that by throwing up all that chaff, they can distract. So a lot of
0: hand-waving Biden, they'll try to like push that, subpoena Joe Biden and his son and this and that. Those, yeah, that's exactly. All I
3: mean, they're definitely in the, the House Judiciary Committee started that already. I mean, I was shocked. They, they actually showed my book because I have this mm-hmm. one So explain passage.
0: what happened there. And then the next <laughs> thing we're going to talk about is the impact of social media. You wrote this book. They put
3: it up there, right? Yeah, the Republicans put it up there to say that, uh, well, obviously that the investigation was legitimate. Even Neil Katyal says that what Biden did was was you know nefarious or wrong, whatever the words they used were. And they excerpted out the parts where I said, well, that doesn't justify any part of the investigation here. Right, right. And, and
0: you wrench in the Trump children.
3: Yeah. And if you did think that way, then the Trump children would be guilty of investigation first before mm-hmm. anyone else because right. they're sitting White House employees who are engaged in business dealings and the like. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't personally like all this pers- destruction of individuals and going after them, but, you know, the Trump folks opened the door to that and um, I thought it was pretty ridiculous when, and it's showed basically the lack of integrity in the defense uh, over President Trump. The twistiness and the the
0: lying, the constant lying. I think one of the things that's really interesting among this whole thing, and it probably is for someone like you who's a lawyer, is the constant. I'm used to constant lying, like the constant lying and not being sorry for it and then moving on to the next lie. And I think what happens is a lot of people on the other side is like, I can't believe you lied. And it's an interesting Washington trend too because often I'm at these Washington parties and they're like, can you believe it? I'm like, I can believe it. He did it 17 times. like when he when exactly, you know, he's like an abusive spouse. he's gonna keep hitting like just try, like they don't get better kind of thing. yeah And a- so it's a really it's a fascinating thing because he does bust norms, right? And he busts right through them yeah, legally a lot of the time, I think.
3: But I love this question because I have not thought about it. But basically, you know, as lawyers, and I know there's a popular image of lawyers as lawyer. My mom, mm-hmm. like, she cried when I went to law school, saying lawyers are liars. But, <laughs> um, but, 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 but the, but the, uh, but the actual truth of it is, the lawyers I deal with all the time are care consummately about the truth. And, uh, you know, Republican lawyer, Democratic lawyer, almost every lawyer I know in this town is abhorrent at what Donald Trump is doing. Um, And so in our daily jobs, we don't see this degree of mendacity. And to the extent that, you know, any of us make a mistake, we try and own up to it. Mm -hmm. And it may be the case in, you know, as you're interviewing in journalism, interviewing companies and so on, they're, they're more focused on spin and Not things like much. that. Not this much.
0: I mean, he's but, like the Uber of, the uh, old Uber of presidents, <laughs> certainly.
3: <laughs> right? Old Uber. Nice. <laughs> Not the
0: new Uber. <laughs> he's trying. Husband, he's trying his best. Um, but, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they'll keep lying. Yeah. Why not? If it is a really, and it's actually caught on with a lot of people. I've yeah. noticed it more in my reporting, is that they'll try to lie for a while and then not be horrified. The only problem is everyone else gets to pay when they lie, and this guy doesn't. He's done it his whole life. So it's really that's what's fascinating is that yeah. when other people try this trick, they get burnt very badly. Yeah, I'm a big believer in
3: karma. It comes from my parents, <laughs> and we'll see what uh, we'll we'll see. You I could don't fall know. the fastest? I don't know.
0: Okay, if you say so. All right, we're here with Neil Cotill. He's the author of Impeach, The Case Against Donald Trump. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this to talk about the impact of social media and others in this upcoming uh, trial in the Senate.
3: Wow, that guy means business.
2: Just an amazing player.
3: No, not him. The sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, So he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
2: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity V-A-N-29.com.
0: We're here with Neil Katyal, the partner in the law firm Hogan Lovells. He's the author of a very timely new book called Impeach the Case Against Donald Trump. All right, so here we are. It's going to happen in the Senate. This is going to be a social media melee. Like, it, it can, you know, you have Brad Parscale, whatever they pronounce his dumb name. Um, You've got Giuliani that pops in like a crazy person. Every now and then you have Trump obviously using the medium. You've got Lindsey Graham. You've got Adam Schiff, who's quite good at it. You know, Elizabeth Warren jumps on in there all the time. And you do, and you and Conway, Judge Conway. Talk a little bit about what's how changed, because this didn't happen before, right? Like, it just wasn't like this.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, not like the Clinton impeachment unfolded with none of this. I mean, there was yeah, some was talk quiet, was radio, like, but, yeah, you know, but right. that's, that's— There's a little <laughs> Rush Limbaugh. That was the beginnings <laughs> exactly. of that, which
0: was the beginnings of this. Agreed. With the cable and, and, and talk radio. Agreed.
3: I do think that it will unfold in that environment. And, you know, one of the things that's been interesting for me, I'm not someone who— Use social media until just three years ago. You're very good at it. But thank you. Um, but, um, but I found it to be actually essential because otherwise you get completely drowned out. You can write your op-eds and they die. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if they're in the New York Times, they die unless you're pushing them on social media and other people are. And mm-hmm. so I do think that the whole nature of the debate has changed. And there's a kind of premium which a lot of people have on saying outrageous stuff in order to get noticed. Sure. And Rudy Giuliani is at the top of that. You know, mm-hmm. I want to basically pay that guy's smartphone bill. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know, I want to <laughs> see. I want to you know, I want to give him ten smartphones. Um, but uh, you know. I think that uh, as this unfolds, social media is actually going to be a little less important when it goes to a trial. Because because. a trial is so solemn. It's the main event. Mm -hmm. And I think there will be a hunger – for that primary source um, material, the mm-hmm. actual what happened, and yeah, right. and people, people are used are gonna, to
0: watching trials. They right. watch trial TV shows all the time, and you know, from Perry Mason on down to Law and Order.
3: Exactly, and so I think that yeah, sure, some of it will be spliced up and you know, in spun in various ways. But I actually am more optimistic about the Senate trial and what happens um, as a result of it. And I think that if once that trial happens and people see the evidence uh, that the president is going to be removed, but you know, whether or not that I'm right about that, it's undoubtedly the duty of everyone in the Senate to go and have that full trial and right. educate the American people. Um, because history literally will be watching this. This right. is you know, this is a grave moment in our democracy. Yeah, it's interesting
0: when people say, Why are we wasting I'm like, we're not wasting our time. This is how we work in the United States of America. That's why, you know, all the trials we have, even the terrible ones, even McCarthy, even the Salem witch trials, it needed to be we needed to see it, like to see what was wrong with it in that in both those cases, and to understand the process. Like there needs to be an airing of this. And I agree with you. I find that to be the worst argument is that I'm tired of this. And I do think that's born of a, of a media system that has been infected by twitchy social media ability not to pay attention, which Trump has taken advantage of beautifully. You know, now I'm going to do the next outrage. And then you're like, what? Like, okay, I'm going to move on to this one. I mean, I haven't forgotten Sharpie, but everyone has. And before before that was shithole countries, and before that was just on and on and on, Vinman and blank blank every day. And then so you're caught up in the reaction to his reaction and creates a real problem. So when you're thinking about doing that from a legal point of view, is like does it actually empath or is it just, you know, the law's the law. You can scream all you want on social media, but eventually you're going to jail.
3: Well, I think there's two different questions. One is if I'm if I'm arguing like a Supreme Court case or something like mm-hmm. that. I think social media has no imp, no real impact. Um, you know, to, so to the play. judges
0: aren't up there tweeting
3: away. They, they they some of them we think are on Twitter, but mm-hmm. but nonetheless, I don't think it matters one bit um, right. to, so to, not to their outcomes. Affected so, by and it. that's true. I think in standard legal proceedings in federal courts, at least, right. I don't think there's that right. much of an impact. Mm-hmm. But impeachment's the opposite end of that because mm-hmm. it is a hybrid animal. It's this weird it's thing. Political. It's political. Animal. And And so there I do think actually social media is going to play a role. It's just that I think it's a little bit overstated because we are going to see something formal and solemn in the form of this trial in the Senate, which I think might hopefully – reduce a little bit of the spin, and put a little more of the eyes on what's actually See, happening. So people don't have to
0: grandstand, which then becomes social media clips, which then beca- – and it used to be on TV, but those took a longer while. Oh, to- the
3: senators are going to grandstand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way yeah, they're not going to grandstand. Yeah. So
0: who's, who are the big characters? Who are next? And we've gotten rid of Screamy Jim, G-Y-M, which I call it G-Y-M. Um, Jim Jordan's gone, right? Mm. Yeah. Or does he get to pop up and –
3: no, I think uh, the House managers— shirt sleeves. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that you will see some of the House managers, but those will be the Democratic folks as the prosecutors. Okay. I don't think that the House Republicans will have—I think, I, I'm not positive about this, um, but I don't think that they will have a role. Mm-hmm. I think that will be up to the Senate side. All right,
0: who plays the key roles here?
3: I think that's to be determined. Um, I don't want to speculate on that yet. Okay, Why? Uh, just because I, I just literally, yeah, what, I think what, it's going to be a food it will be fight senators. between it'll
0: be, sen- it'll be
3: senators and but and then also you'll have the private counsel for the president and so on. But which senators, which committees? You know, I you know the judiciary committee will probably play a big role. But mm-hmm. you know, you know, I don't think any of that's determined yet. And indeed, they still haven't even figured out. You know, right now the Senate released its calendar for twenty twenty, and they left January completely blank because they don't right. know what's happening.
0: But it would go into one of the committees, or is there a one whole? The whole Senate has to be
3: there. Uh, the whole Senate has to be there. Um, whether or not they, whether or not a committee has primary jurisdiction over anything, I'm, I'm not sure about that.
0: Right, and so, and then, and then what?
3: So it's going to go to a trial, and then you will have a how vote. long do those last? Uh, I think we're seeing projections from Mitch McConnell that it's going to be four to six weeks mm-hmm. um, for the trial. Right. And, uh, and then there'll be a, a vote article by article on on whether or not to impeach the president. And here it requires a two-thirds—to uh, remove the president. And here it requires a two-thirds vote of the Senate to convict. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that supermajority was intentionally put in the document to make it's it hard. hard. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. It's sort of like passing the Equal Rights Amendment or something like that. It's just exactly. not going to happen. Uh, that's harder. Uh 네. <웃음> And then presumably most people that, that I read today, for example, that's ah, over. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna go anywhere. And you have a different point of view that it doesn't matter. They're gonna vote on party lines, and that's that.
3: So that's certainly people. Which happened what people, before. Which happened certainly, before. people are saying it's gonna be just party lines, and so mm-hmm. on. I don't think so. I think that um, the evidence is going to be too strong. And these people came to Washington, even Republican senators, to try and uh, some conception of the public good. And leaving this person in office and saying this is okay. Okay. Is so antithetical to what our system's about. I hope and pray they do the right thing.
0: Except publicly, they're saying it's okay. A lot of the senators. aren't. Well,
3: that's what they said with Nixon too, of course. Yes, I mean, they did. You're so, right. People have
0: got to remember that yeah. Nixon was never more popular than right before Watergate. Right? Exactly,
3: and you know, right. very you know, and had strong support in Congress and mm-hmm. the like, and then all of a sudden it crumbled quickly. And you know, we've seen this crumbling quickly around powerful men a lot in recent years. Yeah, um, Harvey Weinstein. And, or, exactly, and yeah. so I think it's premature at this point. To say, oh, we know the outcome. So, is
0: there more people that could come forward, like suddenly? Sure. So, a, a is, mystery
3: witness. Sure. So, I mean, Melania gets up
0: there; he's completely <laughs> guilty. Oh, <laughs> and then the, it's over.
3: Uh, so, would that be good? <laughs> so, I think that uh, we. Kellyanne
0: Conway, I am anonymous. <laughs> like
3: like so I do think that there's a chance that uh, that we will see uh, Bolton testify and people mm-hmm. and maybe Pompeo and Mulvaney. And, you know, each of them seems to have uh, some pretty uh, damning information. Um, we don't know what it is yet. But look, if this were exculpatory to the president, right. if these folks were going to show that he was innocent, mm-hmm. we would have heard it by now. Right. The president is afraid of the truth coming out to the American so, people. So do they
0: have to testify?
3: So— this is a hard question. I think they would. The ordinary rules will require the Democrat will give the Democrats a certain number of subpoenas so that they mm-hmm. can go and get witnesses, and so they'll ask and they'll seek an order basically to she thought testify. Thought you had to follow. Apparently yeah, not. You, yeah, exactly. In the quaint old days when you had to actually <laughs> had follow a subpoena, the I'd rules, run, not exactly. walk. Right. Right. So now, what Bolton or uh, Mulvaney or the Trump could do is try and quash the subpoena and say, mm-hmm. oh no, he doesn't have to do it. And then that would go to the chief justice um, who will be presiding over this to decide. And oh, Roberts. Exactly. I forgot about him. Exactly. it so just he,
0: him or does he have to talk to all the others? So he doesn't no, talk to Clarence consi- or anything. No,
3: in our Constitution, when the president is being impeached, uh, he presides over it, but only him, and not as a kind of member of the U.S. Supreme Court, as but as the chief justice of the United States. And he does this stuff on his own. And indeed, the Supreme I Court has said that the federal courts have no business in impeachment and doing anything. Right. So it's just going to be the chief. And I think that is very... You know, I forgot. I think that's a pretty good thing for America. a very good thing yeah, for Americans. Yeah, he's no Bill Barr, is he? No, no he's, well, a, he, he's a yes. fair-minded person. I mean, I'll disagree with him on any number yeah. of things, but I think the American people are going to get a fair trial with him mm-hmm. presiding, and that includes this information coming out, you know, if it's, if if Bolton is subpoenaed or Mulvaney.
0: Oh, that's why Bolton's waiting. Why? Of course he is. Actually, it's a better thing.
3: It's better It's better later. We'll certainly be at more drama because normally you yeah, don't call is. someone in trial that you haven't deposed first. You haven't yeah. done some Interview with first, right? And here it very well may be that that we'll we'll see all of this, both both sides. We'll see all of this for the first time. And he can in say other trial. things
0: too, right? Sure, like he could say anything. He could say anything. All right. So after that, so say it, no, it doesn't matter. Crazy. No, he gets off. So see two ways. He gets off. He doesn't get off. And then we'll finish up. What happens besides? It, the internet's head blows off. Okay, what what so, happens on either way?
3: So if he doesn't get off, he can be removed from office, and then the Senate can take a further vote to ban him from uh, from any future office holding again. Mm-hmm. They don't have to, but they the, they could.
0: So he could run for president again. Uh,
3: yeah. So well, or they can bar him from running for president okay. again, or anything else, holding right. any position in the right. United States government. So that's option one. Option two is
0: well, he goes start a network, right? Whatever, and we have to listen to him. I'm not even a spectator as to what Whatever.
3: he does too is that, uh, that he doesn't get off and then he runs for re-election um, mm-hmm. and you know but that isn't a fully getting off either because uh, particularly if all the evidence didn't come out there may be yet another impeachment proceeding against him oh. including even for this very same offenses so the double, double jeopardy clause the uh. double jeopardy clause in our constitution does not apply to impeachment uh. and so um, particularly if he hid evidence or if the senate monkeyed around with the rules for the trial mm-hmm. then there will be a call for a new impeachment set of proceedings. And by the way, in November of 2020, the Senate may not be controlled by— uh, Or
0: both of them might be controlled by and then it goes away completely.
3: Exactly. So, right. yeah, so we don't know, but um, but the, it's, a, it's not as if he's out of the woods mm-hmm. after a vote.
0: If he is out of the woods and he does win— it's just there could be more to come, and then he could say, oh, they're always trying to get me the whole time, and that will be his song.
3: Right, and, we'll, the... and I'll be the first to say, no, you're trying to get us. I mean, right. <laughs> so you're, you're right. always trying to get right. us. You're...
0: So when you look at this, like here you are, you've been a pretty like, finishing up here, you've been a pretty like straightforward legal career, a, a high-level one, mm-hmm. but it's still like, you know, it's all been pretty normal. This is not normal, or maybe, but it, but it was anticipated by the founders, right, sort of. This is all of this. When I, I started back, you know, I was listening to the the woman from Stanford, I went back and read a lot. I'm like, wow, this really was anticipated. This poss- this kind this was the, what they were most terrified of.
3: Yeah, so in some parts are anticipated. The king the president, thing was a big deal because exactly. they were right in the middle of king. They, right, they didn't like King George III, and right. you know, and this president is basically trying to. King George III uh, times two or something like that. Mm -hmm. He's really trying to maximize his powers um, in a way that's very flatly inconsistent with our separation of powers. Um, And, you know, speaking personally, yes, it's totally not uh, not a usual thing Mm -hmm. for a lawyer to do. And it's not easy to do. But, you know, I feel like I have to look in the mirror every day and I see a grave threat to our democracy, and um,
0: and when when you move forward, you know, especially with this impact of social media with disinformation, you know, the Russians. I think they lost the Cold War and are winning this one, um, or whatever whatever malevolent power. It doesn't have to be Russians; it can be anybody. You know, any political operation. Is it going to be fully? difficult to do this going forward with all these different social media things, not just social media, but when you get to AR, VR, fakes, videos, everything else. How do you create, how do you fight against that?
3: I have no idea at the present, <laughs> <I> mean, um, <laughs> but it is so scary to me, particularly this deepfake stuff. You know, I've been thinking a lot about it recently, and um, uh, I don't know what uh, the, the tools to spoof and fool us are going to be so much greater, and I hope the technology to detect it will be commensurate, but I just don't know, and I certainly think it won't be evenly deployed among pow- more powerful and less powerful, mm-hmm. and because it's not going to be evenly deployed, it really scares me and it keeps me up at night.
0: All right. Very last questions then. Do you think big tech is too big and should be broken up?
3: Oh, I'm not going to get into that one, I ah, trying for an Elizabeth
0: <laughs> Warren there. Anyway, Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank this is you. fascinating. This is a great book. It's about impeachment. It's a lot about historical stuff, and it's a very important thing you should read. No matter what side you're on, it's a really important thing to know about how our country works. It's really a remarkable—the uh, Constitution is a remarkable document in so many ways. But Impeach the Case Against Donald Trump by Neil Katyal. He's a partner at the law firm Hogan Lovitz and the author of this new timely book. Thank you for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer is Eric Anderson at Erica America. My producer Eric Johnson is at Hey Hey ESJ. Neil, where can people find you online?
3: I'm at Neil underscore Katyal at Twitter, and I'm also at Instagram at uh, Neil Katyal N E A L K A T Y A L.
0: Is that the pictures of your meals and things like that? <laughs> do you do nice <laughs> stuff, or are you just as? Oh no,
3: it goes, I go to rock concerts all the time. Oh okay. I love pictures of that. <laughs> May I just say,
0: you're, you're a fantastic Twitter person. You're really oh, good. It's quite you. cogent. They're really funny. They're also really funny. If you. If you like this episode, we really appreciate it. If you shared it with a friend, and make sure to check out our newest podcast reset. Just search for it in your podcasting app of choice or tap the link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.